Hey, hey, so do you want to hear a food heist? I do because you warned me what this one was for, and I am baffled by the idea. So (laughs) Ah, I got to hear about it. It's delightful. So this one's actually a few weeks old. This is actually from July. Well, that's more new than a lot of our It's more new than a lot of the ones that Mm -hmm. we've been doing. So it's not cutting edge, ripped from the headlines, but it's ripped from a month old headline. How's that? This was in Boardman, Ohio. Okay. I'm sure they get no jokes whatsoever about the name of their town. No. And it's B-O-A-R-D. Oh. And so I think it's a man who just really loves boards and or board games. Either way, they have a restaurant there that I believe is called Double Bogies that was in a mall. Okay. And this place apparently takes all its fry oil and then dumps it into an outdoor container. Okay. And then a biodiesel company comes and picks it up and takes it off and, you know, hooray for reusing and reducing and all that sort of thing. But guys showed up in late July to get the shipment of fry oil collected from double bogeys and found that it was empty. 700 gallons of used cooking oil got stolen from a deep fryer was stolen. Did they check for holes? (laughs) Right. Like, I think if there was there were holes in the storage container, I think people would have noticed. There could be a drain nearby that's you know, this is maybe well, even the smell for, though. I mean No and this stuff can't be worth very much. Here's the crazy part. Locks were cut. So like this was a whole thing. It was an actual heist. Someone actual heist. They showed up, they cut the locks, but also at the same time, they only empty this storage container every three months. So how rancid was that oil sitting in an outdoor storage container in a mall parking lot for three months, and someone was like, you know what? We're going to plan an elaborate heist, and we're going to take it all. I mean, this is absolutely- I could see the looks on their faces when that biodiesel guy shows up. No, no, no. This is is a joke of some sort. This is someone who was in (laughs) food heist prison. Okay. And they had stolen Twinkies or something. They're like, you're on the bottom of the list- your punishment is you got to go steal the fry oil. You it's go. like a prank being played on the worst of the food heisters by the entire food heist conglomerate. Or is it someone who wants to join the crew of uh-huh. a much more elaborate food heist? And he's like, okay, first you got to prove your bona fides. You got to steal 700 gallons of fry oil but, by tonight. And he's like, crap, what do I do? I mean, on one hand, if they only check it every three months, then... Going to make a pretty cold trail on Well, so hand. here's the thing. Yeah. A worker at a restaurant nearby noticed an unmarked dusty white tanker truck by the outdoor storage container four days earlier. Four days. Which means this is someone who knew the schedule. He was knew it was being it was picked full. up on the 19th. He waited till it was full, snuck in there on the 15th, and took almost three months' worth of used rancid cooking oil from an outdoor storage container in a mall parking lot. Really hard to steal that without using a tanker or something. So, <laughs> yeah. This is the dumbest one. The dumbest one? Yeah, fry oil. Used fry oil. Like they probably pay the company to come get it. Okay, so I'm sure they do. Like here, we mm-hmm. will pay you to dispose of this properly. Yes. We get some kind of, you know, carbon credit. for disposing of this instead Mm -hmm. of throwing it away. Here's the thing. A woman that I went to elementary Mm -hmm. school with that I've known since second grade is a science teacher. 
Yep. And I don't know if she still does it. She used to do this. She would make biodiesel in her high school class with her kids. Okay. So you're so saying it's a bunch of teenagers. I'm saying that this is either a bunch of teenagers or it is like an inner city, dangerous minds, Michelle Pfeiffer like teacher who's trying to inspire kids <laughs> and is like, yeah, you know what? You know what you can do? You can make the world a better place through theft. Don't steal like other stuff. Steal this garbage that you nobody wants. Couldn't think of a thing people would steal? No, I couldn't His think of anything. His head went to gnocchi and he's like, that would be too silly. No, I couldn't think of anything other than biodiesel at this point that someone would want. Yeah. Why would anyone want anything other than that? Maybe 50 pies, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> so we were going to reference that episode. You're the one who referenced it. I was going to leave it as an Easter egg. <laughs> but the point is, this could be an inspirational tale of someone using 700 gallons of rancid used fry oil to, like, inspire children. Okay, that's the official backstory for this one. They're going to get into prison, and they'll be with the food heist gang. They'll be like, mm-hmm. where do they go in the hierarchy? They're like, well, they're educators. They have their own hierarchy. They're off by themselves doing good. We don't mess with them. They're inspirational. The sad part of that story mm-hmm. is that the reason this person ends up in food heist prison yeah. is because we tipped off the cops on our show that it was probably a teacher. Yeah. So they just looking around, who's the most inspirational junior high science teacher? And then they found him and yeah. threw him in prison. Off you go. Yeah. So what I think is hilarious is we're actually for once going to be doing a topic that might actually, you know, be YouTube relevant rather than talking about Pride and Prejudice (laughs) or, you know, random things that Mm -hmm. we like to talk about. We're picking a show that's coming out this week. We're topical. We're topical kind of on accident. And anyone who clicks on it because they're like, oh, it's, you know, people doing information. one of the most popular fantasy artists in the world. He's talking about Lord of the Rings. Nope, sucker, seven minutes of rancid fry oil first. And then you're going to hear what Brandon thinks. The top comment on YouTube is going to be, just skip to minute seven. And that's when they start talking about Lord of the Rings. No, 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 no. The loyal listeners, they're here for us. They're going to be like, Show gets boring at seven minutes, guys. <laughs> they stop talking Just about the up. food heist. <laughs> uh, so we are going to be talking about Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Rings so, of power. More specifically, Rings of Power. Yep. Yeah. So what did you think when you first heard that Amazon was making a Lord of the Rings television show? Man, I have been on a roller coaster for the last several years, hmm. emotionally speaking. I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I love the movies deeply and dearly. Mm-hmm. So when I heard that Amazon was going to do it and that they were spending you know, millions of dollars per episode to just make it as big and as cool as they could make it, I was cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll say we will have no spoilers for Rings of Power in this because yes. we have not seen it. We We've seen all the trailers. We've seen all the trailers. But of course, yep. it doesn't come out till Friday. Yep. And so if you're watching this after Friday and you're like, well, you could have already watched it. Well, we posted this before then. Yes, we... Do not have time travel yet. As I often say, science people get on that. It's our idea to imagine it. You make it a reality. We did the hard part. So (laughs) I heard of this. Scientists. I dreaded it the first time I heard about it. Mm -hmm. But then, like I think a lot of people, I read even that announcement article. Maybe they were two separate articles. It had been sold, and then it was getting made years ago. When they said it was second age, I kind of heaved a sigh of relief. Because it 
can't impact my love of the movies and books that much being so far removed yes. from particularly the films. And we didn't have to worry about that. And so that was a sigh of relief. Well, and I was initially quite worried. Like mm-hmm. I was so excited by the announcement and then I found out what they actually had the rights to yeah. and realized, oh, this is not the Silmarillion stuff, which is kind of what I had hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. And I hesitate Wait, to say exactly what it is. I think it is Silmarillion stuff. Is it's, it not? It's not. Really? It's basically them reverse engineering narrative out of the appendices of Lord of the Rings. If See, I remember correctly, and I might be wrong. I could be. But so it's Adam, not. Do some look up. Doing See like if they have Silmarillion rights. Or anything like that. Because this was sold by the Tolkien estate, not by New Line slash yeah. Warner Brother. And so they would have the rights to sell Silmarillion. But I don't think they did. But they didn't. I think they sold the trilogy. And then Amazon said, does that include the appendices? They're like, I guess so. And then Amazon said, well, we're not going to tell the Lord of the Rings story. Oh. We want to tell a second age story based on the historical notes in okay. the appendices is I'm pretty sure what it is. Well, you know Tolkien better than I do, and you've been following this better. So I'm going to trust you unless Adam comes up with other information. I was under the impression, just kind of tangentially knowing mm-hmm. that basically this didn't happen till Christopher Tolkien couldn't stop it. I mean, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Everyone wanted to sell the rights. They sold for $250 million. I can't imagine Amazon buying the rights for that much without getting the chance at the Silmarillion, which is the only unadapted, straight up, you know, Tolkien yeah. plus Guy Gabriel K written full length volume that hasn't been adapted, right? Yeah. Granted, which, is, which is precisely the yeah. reason that it is so concerning to so many people that that is apparently not what this is. Okay, so I didn't know that. Yeah. So calling it Rings of Power, Adam's got information for us. It seems like Dan is correct. Dan is correct. Dan is correct. So do they not have the rights to Silmarillion or do they just choose to not do the Silmarillion? Which would have been earlier, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff from the Silmarillion is it's before very, it's this. first stage. Yes. Yeah. So maybe that's why they decided not to. It's like, who can we use? We can tell a story about Galadriel. Everyone mm-hmm. likes Galadriel, which I think is actually a good choice. Yeah. And the lady that they've got to play Galadriel, at Mm -hmm. least in all the trailers, looks great. I am excited with her as a protagonist for this story. What I have eventually settled into, Mm -hmm. and I guess I should say that I was also extremely put off by the first trailer that came out like last year. It was a bad trailer. Are you talking about the one where they carved the wood and zoomed out of just the title and then had some sweeping shots? Or are you talking about the first like showed a oh, lot. not the not teaser, the teaser. One, You're talking about But okay. like there was an actual first trailer that yeah. was, all the effects in it looked really cheap. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. All I was very scared. people in it looked just off somehow. And then we have since had two more trailers mm-hmm. that honestly, I'm very excited at this point. Okay. And uh, what I was going to say, the thing that I've eventually settled on, the explanation in my head, is even if this is just pure fan fiction, as long as it's well done fan fiction, I'm down for it. Okay. I'm currently GMing two different Middle Earth campaigns, and that's the same thing, right? We're taking all the stuff that Tolkien created mm-hmm. and then telling our own stories in that world. I mean, that's what D&D is. Yeah. Straight up. And if this show is just that, but they do a good job and they're true to the spirit of it, then I don't care if it's inaccurate. I don't okay. care if it's made up characters doing made up things 
as long as they don't like come out and completely contradict the books and have like, you know, impossible things happen that couldn't have happened, then you'll be okay. I'm totally fine with new stories and and new people. Okay. Do you want a Gandalf cameo or not? I am leery of one mm-hmm. because that seems like someone you have to do so right. Mm-hmm. You know, like Galadriel is also a character we already know. We've mm-hmm. already met. They had such a wonderful portrayal of her in the movies. But I don't think people have the emotional attachment to her that they have to Gandalf. I would agree with that. Like, I don't want to see Gandalf. Okay. Main reason being, and this is kind of a weird reason, once Gandalf shows up, I feel like they do that because a studio exec has said, oh, no, and not enough people are watching it. Bring out the Gandalf. Mm-hmm. And this is what they've done with Star Trek. Every time ratings slide, they're like, get Spock. Yeah, get Spock. Everyone loves Spock. Bring in Spock. Anytime. I mean, that's what they did with Deep Space Nine Mm -hmm. is no one's watching this show. Let's put Worf on and make him a regular. Yeah. And it was a genuinely great decision. It was awesome. That really worked. And so, yes, bringing in Gandalf just as a ratings ploy could be the middle earth version of, we need this character to have a baby during sweeps week. But as long as they do it well, again, I think I'm okay with it. Okay. I just think that if Gandalf shows up, it's because of that. I want the mm. show to not need to Gandalf. To not need Gandalf and survive on its own merits. Yes. And okay. then maybe if it's a great show, I'll change my mind and be like, all right, let's go see if Ian McKellen will come in and <laughs> put on the stuff and do a cameo where they don't need it, but now it's just cool that he shows up. Then I'm on board. Now, would you need Ian McKellen? For I would want Ian McKellen because you're the Tolkien buff. But weren't the wizards like created old? Aren't they the same age? I think that they are, mm-hmm. but I'm not 100% sure. I feel like they were. And even if they're created a little bit younger, I feel like they've always been the mm-hmm. wizards. And so you yeah. can digitally de-age him <laughs> I, for just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. I definitely don't want like, you know, 25-year-old yes. sexy Gandalf to show up. Like yes. that would be the worst. 25-year-old sexy like, Gandalf. Like Zac Efron as Gandalf. <laughs> Okay, now that's what I want. But, you know, mm-hmm. Galadriel is old. She is older than the moon. Mm-hmm. And this show is maybe 4,000 years ago, and they've got like a 30s version of her, yes. maybe late 20s yes, instead of... She did look pretty ageless in the film, though. Yeah, and so they're clearly de-aging people maybe more mm-hmm. than I would have. But again, yes. at least based on the trailers... I think they have cast her well. I think okay. she looks really good. Do you want character arc for Gladriel? I mean, I hope so. If she's okay. the main character, she needs a character arc of some kind, right? Yes, I would agree with this. But the young kids will not remember the movie discussions about giving Aragorn a character arc, mm-hmm. which was one of the contentious pieces because yeah. Aragorn doesn't really have a character arc in the books. He's, you know, he's yeah. already arrived at his character. He's mm-hmm. not hiding from being king because he doesn't trust in himself. He knows it's not the right time yet. He's waiting. And in the movie, it's like, you know, Elrond has to kick him out the door, basically. Be like, Mm -hmm. all right, out of the nest, kid. Here's your sword. Go be king. He has to grow up a little bit. Yes. And in the books, he's already who he needs to be. He's just waiting for the world to catch up to him. Yes. I mean, yes, 
the two most contentious things, as I remember, mm-hmm. and these are two things that I love about the movies. I think yeah. they are great changes. Mm-hmm. Is also the Sam Frodo character arc, where I'm talking about Frodo sending Sam away and Sam coming back, and some of this stuff. Like that is mm. greatly in the films enhanced. Yeah. I don't think Sam ever leaves the whole you were eating the bread stuff. I think it's one of the best parts of the films. I think it plays beautifully and it works into what's going on. It shows very powerfully Mm -hmm. Sam, his loyalty being, even after Frodo said, you've got to go away, he comes back. I really love it. But these are the contentious things. I mean, yes, people are mad about no Tom Bombadil and no Scouring of the Shire. But, you know, thematically, they're worried about the character arc stuff. You know, it's interesting because looking back, you know, 20 whatever Mm -hmm. years ago, the change that I remember getting the most fired up about was they're not going to have Glorfindel. And he's such a tiny, dumb little part of the story. I just really like him for some reason. And giving his role to Arwen, I think, was a really good choice. It was. But I actually was annoyed by that one first. Because Arwen was still, to me, Steven Tyler's daughter that's in his video for crazy, Mm -hmm. right? I'm like, this is... Well, and she had just been in Armageddon. Yes, she had. And everyone was like, wait. Mm -hmm. Because everyone was people we've never heard of. Yes. Or people who are venerable and perfectly cast. And then there's the girl from the crazy video. Yep. And I'm like, I, but I think she hit it out of the park yes. and completely proved me wrong. And that was a good change. Before we talk too much about a character art for Galadriel. Yes. You've asked me, or mm-hmm. at least I have said that I am excited for it. Yes. Are you? Watching this trailer, which... A lot of people online have had a bad reaction to this latest trailer. They don't like the music, which I can see why. This is the Vogue thing in trailers now, pop song. This one isn't in a minor key, I don't think, but it's like woman singing pop song. I don't even remember. I watched it 20 minutes ago, and I don't remember. And a lot of people are like, this is the wrong music. Give us Lord of the Rings music. I was okay with that. This is the first trailer I've watched. I'm like, all right, I'll let myself be excited. Mm. I will let myself be excited. I have one major reservation. Okay. Which is they are not doing a trailer, any of these trailers that show me what the story is. Yeah. And that could be fantastic. Like that could be a stylistic choice where like we're mm-hmm. going to hit you with what this story is so it can be surprising. And that could be wonderful. Or they could be doing something where they're like, we have a whole bunch of cool scenes. And we don't have a cohesive narrative. And so we're showing you a bunch of the cool scenes. Like this was one of my problems, despite, you know, liking it overall with the Wheel of Time adaptation that, you know, I'm a producer on, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things I've kind of harped on, even talking behind the scenes is, you know, you need to tell a cohesive story. And, you know, a lot of these side stories distracting from the main story, it's like, are preventing it from feeling like a cohesive whole to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried we'll get the same thing with Lord of the Rings. Like this latest trailer, there's just a hint of maybe Galadriel's the only one that realizes something dangerous is coming and she's fighting when everyone else yeah. is like, no, it's time to make peace or whatever. There might be something there, but like, what is the story? All we know is called Rings of Power, and it's like, you know, Sauron tricking them with rings? Yeah. But is that Second Age? Well, the the last trailer, the one before Mm -hmm. the new one, did have an appearance by Sauron in it. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of young, attractive Sauron. Which, as much as I don't want to see that for Gandalf, 
makes a lot of sense with Sauron because yes. that's how he first mm-hmm. presented himself to the world. People thought he was a good guy. Yes. That was part of his whole corruptive influence. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, could be I a, mean, that's a good way of doing this. what the story is, right? Yeah. We are fighting some war. I don't know what it would be in Middle Earth terms, but we are losing. Mm-hmm. We are getting trounced. Handsome man shows up with rings that grant superpowers. Take these rings and grant superpowers, and then his you know, machinations behind the scenes as he corrupts the kings of men and things go whatever, leading up to the war against him that we see the flashbacks to that Galadriel talks over and the, yeah. you know, with Elrond and the ring getting cut off the finger and stuff. Like you could do that. That's the, in some ways, low hanging fruit, but it's low hanging fruit because that's the movie we kind of want to see. Yeah. That would be great if they do it well. I'm worried. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah, that is a really hard story to tell because it's dramatic irony, right? We know Sauron's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. You still need to make the characters not feel stupid. Yes. I mean, this is basically the story of the prequel movies of Star Wars, and we know how those went, Mm -hmm. right? Great concept. The execution was really hard, and I think it turned out poorly. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried that this is going to go the same way. Yeah. It's definitely an issue, right? Mm -hmm. Like, one of the campaigns that I'm running right now mm-hmm. takes place in between Hobbit and Fellowship. Okay. And so the year we're in right now is actually like one or two years before Frodo's parents get married. Okay. And so during this time, Saruman is still a good guy. He is still working for the common right. good. Uh, he has not yet been corrupted, and it is almost impossible for the players to trust him. Right. Because they know that 40 years from now, he's going to be a major villain. Mm-hmm. And that is obviously a problem. Yeah. But at the same time, we've seen successful liar, betrayer characters before. Like Cypher from The Matrix comes immediately to mind. Right. But that you get introduced to. You don't go into the movie knowing Cypher's a traitor. Mm-hmm. And then when he has his heel turn, you're like, oh, no. And then pretty soon after, That's he true. Pulls he doesn't spend a long time deceiving them. You don't spend that seven seasons which they would want to do for this you know mm-hmm. they want to do seven eight seasons yeah. right you don't pay this much and make this thing without wanting to go on at least for as long. a long time yeah now one thing i have studiously avoided mm-hmm. is too much information about what we're talking about i okay. don't actually know i haven't read speculation or leaks about what the story will actually be okay if it were me mm-hmm because the story you're talking about of, yeah. you know, the handing out the rings of power and the corruption and then Sauron eventually, you know, cutting his finger off, that's mm-hmm. hundreds of years. Right. And so if it were me and that's the story I wanted to tell, I would just advance each season 100 years or right. something along those lines. And in that case, you need to treat it a little bit like an anthology series where it's season one needs to have beginning, middle and end of a mini story. Kind mm-hmm. of like, again, Lucas had good ideas. The yeah. whole idea of Palpatine's pulling the strings behind this other thing that's happening was a good idea. You tell yeah. the story of, you know, the conquering and liberation of Naboo. The problem is he didn't know how to do that and make it, you know, not boring. Unless there was a lightsaber or a pod racing scene going on, he didn't know how to make that interesting. And... Mm-hmm. You could totally do that. This is the story of, I don't know. I don't know my Tolkien lore. Here's all of the mother spider's children doing a thing. Something like that. we've got to do something with the spiders yeah. that are going crazy. And we're going to have this big thing. And meanwhile, you know, here's the 
the introduction of Sauron. And then season two is like, oh no, this other thing happening. You know, there's some mm-hmm. mysterious figure. We do a full arc on that. And then, you know, season three, we put on the rings for the first time or something. And I'm a little hazy mm-hmm. on the exact timeline. And so I don't remember, for example, if, you know, the fall of Numenor. Is that first right. or second age? Oh boy. There's so much ocean stuff in the trailers Mm -hmm. that I suspect Numenor is still out there. That's the island that's off the west coast of what we think of as Middle-earth. It's where Aragorn's Um, ancestors are from. They're like ubermensch, right? They're like men who live 150 years and yeah. Yeah, and then eventually Numenor falls Mm -hmm. and Arnor is created, which is the big kingdom west of the Misty Mountains. Okay. That by the time we get to Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, Arnor has fallen completely, which is why most of that territory mm-hmm. is completely empty wilderness. Okay. And there's a very long, again, couple hundred years story of basically the two kingdoms of men were Arnor and Gondor. Mm-hmm. Arnor collapsed and, you know, it was the witch king of Angmar destroyed mm-hmm. all of that. But again, I'm a little hazy and I don't remember if that's end of the second age or beginning of right. the third age. I mean, there's so much stuff in here. Yeah. That you (laughs) can tell some really cool stories with. Mm -hmm. I don't blame, so to speak, like them for making this show. This isn't the thing that I look at. I'm like, for instance, there's always perennial talk of let's do more Princess Bride. I'm like, no, do not do more Princess Bride. (laughs) Princess Bride needs no more. William Goldman has passed away. It is a perfect little time capsule. It's a wonderful movie. Do not do any more. No remakes, no sequels, no prequels. Done. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, I'm like, oh, no. Tolkien, you know, this is what he was interested in. He gave you encyclopedias of yeah. stuff to tell stories about. You go ahead and do it. There's so many cool things. But will they? Yeah. And will it work? Well, and for so much of it, it comes down to trust, right? Mm-hmm. Because for me, if somebody gave me the keys to Tolkien's car... And said, go crazy, buddy. Mm -hmm. I would drive that car like I stole it. I would absolutely love to take these stories and make up my own characters and tell a lot of this stuff. Let's tell about the fall of Arnor splitting into Mm -hmm. the three kingdoms. Let's tell about, you know, the men of Numenor trying to settle in Eriador after their island sank. Like, there's so many cool things. And they, by force, will require us to make up new stuff because Tolkien wrote a lot of it, but he wrote it, you know, basically as scripture. There's a lot of details, but there's not a lot of down nitty gritty narrative of it. How was Tolkien as an influence on you as a writer? As a writer? Yeah. I honestly don't think much. Mm. If there's anything that I have taken from Tolkien, it is occasionally trying to get fancy with my words. Like, I don't plot the way he plots. I don't character arc the way that he character arcs. I will say, my kids asked me this a couple of weeks ago, who was my favorite character in all of literature? And it's absolutely Gollum. Mm. I love Gollum. I think he has such a tragic and fascinating and wonderful story. There's kind of things that he goes through. And so maybe mm-hmm. there's some Gollum DNA in some of the stuff that I write. Right. But other than that, I'm not trying to write like him or right. be like him. I didn't finish Lord of the Rings until I was in my 20s. Oh, really? Reading it. Yeah. I read Hobbit when I was young and bounced off of Lord of the Rings and then mm-hmm. read it when I was older and could appreciate it. And it's really hard to say because... 
my genre in particular, much more so than your genres, is Tolkien's genre. Yeah. He founded epic fantasy. And a lot of genres, it's really hard to point at and say, who started that? Like horror, who started horror, right? Very hard to say, even gothic horror. Yeah. Who started science fiction? Is it Mary Shelley? We usually say Mary Shelley, but there's lots of wiggle room in there where we're like, well, this and that. Yeah. And, you know, Frankenstein's the first place where it really shows up this whole theme of the science being a danger. But we can point at Tolkien and say, epic fantasy. He straight up legit created this genre. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious that. You know, no one quite knew what to do with it because the next 20 years were very much in his shadow with very Tolkien-esque sorts of things. And so it's hard to look at my genre and look at any author in it and say, oh, no, I wasn't influenced by Tolkien. Like, it's like saying, no, I was not influenced by Henry Ford when I built my, you know, car on the assembly line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe not deliberately, but... He started off that yeah. whole thing. His influence is there even if we're not it's trying to copy him. Yeah, it's pervasive. Yeah, you're playing in a playground that he kind of built. Like, I often point out my career and kind of my generation of epic fantasy writers as a thing that where we were reacting kind of against the Tolkien-esque, mm -hmm. right? You yeah. see a lot fewer elves and things in my era because... We all had read a whole bunch of Terry Brooks and things like that. And even even the kind of Robert Jordan in the middle where it started very Tolkien-esque and then moved out of it, mm -hmm. sort of 90s epic fantasy, the 2000s epic fantasy, we're like, no, 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 we're going a different direction. But you're still, when you're acting against something, you are deeply still influenced, being influenced it, right? by it. Yeah. Like the only way to not be influenced by it would be to never have read a fantasy book never have participated in the culture that was spawned by fantasy becoming a mm -hmm. major best-selling part of the industry and then write something of your own. And yeah, like, like some person who grew up, I don't know where, yes. in a cave yes. underneath a university. I was going to say Oxford, but that's a really bad one to have that's no Tolkien influences. Choice, yeah. Like if all you knew was Beowulf yeah. and you're like, you know what the world needs today? Like a modern, modern Beowulf. Beowulf, but totally different, and maybe put some goblins in it. Like, that's the best you could come up with, yeah. and there is no one like that in Western <laughs> Europe or U.S. Yeah, very much. That influence is very strong. Like, what have you done specifically to get out from under that shadow or pay homage to that well, shadow? I wrote an essay early in my career that a lot of people misinterpret. Granted, it's my fault, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We were still figuring out how to do clickbait. What's too far, <laughs> what's not. And this is like 2008. I wrote an essay I called How Tolkien Ruined Fantasy. Mm. And it was, look, he was so far ahead of the curve, we ended up copying him for a long time. Yeah. And the basic premise of my essay was we need to do better as a genre at using the methods Tolkien used rather than the results that came from the methodology that he used, right? Mm -hmm. He reached back into mythology and understood why the mythology worked like it did and why it was created and the effect it had on people and then was able to lift from mythology and create his own things to provoke a certain effect in readers. 
and a lot of what followed them, and I don't blame them. That's the thing. I'm not saying, oh, look at these hack writers. No, they were not hacks. A lot of them were really great writers. But it's like, we don't know what to do with this, so we will use the things he invented, elves, dwarves, and we'll have the same sort of journey, quest for a magical object. The quest for a magical object just was there for so long that we're going to do that. And I feel like that became a crutch that in some ways prevented fantasy as a genre from being as imaginative as it could be. Yeah. And so my philosophy has been, all right, what did Tolkien do, not did what he create? Can you learn from what he did? Because he was a legit genius and he deserved to have an entire genre, you know, mm-hmm. founded based upon his work. So that's kind of been my philosophy. I do think I am deeply influenced by the things Tolkien did, less so the actual creation that he made. Yeah. I published my first book in 2005 when the Lord of the Rings trilogy as movies had just, you know, and yeah. so I'm sure I was deeply influenced by the cinematography even of those and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky place to be in, I think. Mm-hmm. In general, I'm very happy with the state of fantasy right now. I think there's a lot of really interesting new voices coming into it. I think it's going in a lot of very cool directions. And maybe this is just me comparing modern fantasy to, you know, the kind of stuff you and I grew up on, which was so Tolkien-esque in so many ways. And there were definitely, you know, Melanie Ron and people like that who were branching off and doing very different things. I mean, Moorcock is very not Tolkien-esque. Yeah, very Conan-esque. Yes. In a lot of ways. Heroic fantasy. Heroic rather than epic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so much really compelling and really great stuff. And it seems that the publishing market, the the fantasy market today, is continuing to expand. It's not just settled into a plateau of this is as new or as innovative or as diverse as we need it to get, and it's going to stop. I don't think that it's done that. I think that it is continuing to expand and grow, and I think that's pretty cool. So where we're arriving is, hasn't it excitement, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I might even be past the point of hesitant excitement. I'm hesitant and you're not. You're all in. It was the most recent trailer that allowed you to be excited. For me, it was the one a few months ago. Okay. And so my excitement has been building. This most recent trailer has cemented that and made me think, okay, yeah, I think that they're doing this right. Everything that I've seen. And also just you compare that first trailer, which was so bad with what they're doing now. And at the very least, they are learning from that mistake, which is also a very good sign, right? Mm -hmm. Everything they have filmed by the time of the first trailer is presumably still stuff they have to use, Yeah, but they know what they're doing. Well, and the post-production was not done when they filmed that trailer. It just, yeah, knowing what I know of the industry, it was absolutely not done. It may not have been started. Which is probably why it looked so wonky Mm -hmm. and why this stuff all looks so good. The big shots the landscapes that they're doing. The very tail end of the most recent trailer has someone, and I don't know who it is, telling Galadriel that it's time to put down your sword. Yeah. And she says, well, then who am I to be? And that for me, I guess, is the clearest sign of what might be the story or at least what might be her character arc. She is eventually going to be the wise sage in Lorien 
right now we're going to see younger, you know, kind of butt-kicking Galadriel instead. And I know a lot of purists are going to be upset about that. I am excited because that's a character arc, right? We're going to see her struggling against something and then deciding, no, maybe I need to calm down. And maybe that takes seven seasons that span a thousand years. I don't know how they're going to do it, but could be good. We will find out because we will watch it and be back to talk about it. Yes, we will. (laughs) 